Hi, and welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Bow, clinical and perinatal psychologist and coach. Do you believe trauma could be our biggest teacher? Do you believe that birth is about so much more than just a healthy baby? I'm on a mission to make sure that every birth worker who experiences vicarious trauma has the skills, tools and support that is needed to sustain a long-term career and not burn out. Join me as we explore how to achieve post-traumatic growth and beautiful resilience with the mind-body-spirit connection. We'll strategize how to do sustainable self-care discuss holistic support options and what's happening in our current birth climate. This is not about grabbing your pom-poms and saying just be positive but this podcast is all about finding the strength and beauty from the broken parts. Ground yourself first, take a long slow deep breath in, feel the inner balloon and sit with your body in the present moment. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, so today I want to introduce you to an amazing guest, the amazing, amazing, that's a lot of amazings, but she actually is this amazing Meg Berryman. She's a women's empowerment coach, an educator, a yoga teacher, a mum, Very much like me, she has been a collector of degrees. She is a collector of animals, a lover of good food and good wine, an overuser of the F-bomb, someone who doesn't sleep very much. We are kindred spirits. So a couple of Geminis who met when our little girls were quite small at a mum and bub yoga class and I had been for, I don't know, three or four terms or something, you know, I was looking to meet a mum friend. And whilst I'd met some, you know, really lovely people, there just wasn't anybody I had massively connected with. And so I went to one more final last class and Meg was that person. So we have four girls between us and three of them are little Sagittarians born all in the same week. And then there's, you know, the one I think of as affectionately the other one, who's a March baby. <laughs> but when we all get together, it's quite electric. There's some really good um, female energy happening there. It's going to be chaos as the years go on. Anyway, so I wanted to get Meg on because I want to talk about something today that is a little bit um, tricky to talk about. In the sense that when we think about birth trauma, a lot of the conversations we're having are pretty much in the Western world, talking about within the Western hospital system where a lot of us have a lot of privilege, you could argue. There's not as much discussion about how it is for people in other parts of the world, so parts of the developing world. So Meg has got such an interesting career history behind her. She knew at a really early age that she wanted to go off and do really good, supportive, helpful things in the world. But I suppose there's also that thing that a lot of aid workers have now where they're reflective and doing the like, oh, am I just a white saviour looking to run in and improve things for people where maybe they didn't ask me or maybe there's not much to be improved. So she's got a really unique perspective in this discussion in terms of she can talk a little bit about what birth and maternity care is like in some of the parts of the world that we may never get to and may never see. We can only kind of hear about and read about, which is not exactly the same thing. And then translating that into how do we have that information and then sit with our own experiences of trauma? And so one of the things that Meg and I are talking about today is this idea of not necessarily holding two things in conflicting states. So not about it being saying, oh, well, you know, we're so privileged, we live in Australia or the US or Canada or the UK and our hospital systems are amazing and women in other places, for example, like in the Gaza, have got nothing, so we need to shut up and stop complaining. It's not about that. 
My view very much is that we can have both. We can have both discussions and one does not have to necessarily take away from the other, but it's an awareness. And I think it's an awareness that we want to talk about in a bit more detail because not many people get to have this experience, as I said, of seeing what maternity care is like in some of the parts of the world where it's almost, well, you could say it's non-existent. So Meg's talking a little bit today about her experience in that 10-year span before she started to get really burnt out and a bit jaded and her body just started shutting down like so Meg is someone who got past the point of burnout into adrenal exhaustion and then into full-on autoimmune disease which really took its toll and the nice thing about this discussion is because I want a bunch of you who are sitting there in the I'm almost getting burnt out or I am burnt out zone to not look at this as like okay well that's it it's all over you can't do birth work anymore but to really have a serious think about what you're actually doing for your self-care and what you're doing to look after your own energy and your own body and your own soul and so Meg's got some really good strategies that she talks through about how did she do this how did she get herself back from the burnout to still be the empathic intuitive wonderfully compassionate passionate person that she is without having to run away from it all and quit all of it and how does she marry that with her own I suppose birth experience knowing that there is this element of privilege but yet there is trauma so we have some interesting conversations about how we might have those discussions and how we might think about that sort of stuff. And hello, Meg. How are you going? Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me. I am getting over another cold uh, with the kids, but I'm pretty good. Excellent. Um, I always hate asking that question, like, what do you do? Mm. I like the, the um, I don't know if you've been listening. Sometimes I listen to Oprah, Oprah's podcast. I love it. Cool. Love it. So there's this guy, um, his name's Daniel Pink, and he's been talking about like a great person is a sentence. And whilst I'm not going to put you on the spot to be like, what's your amazing magical sentence, Hmm. how do you sum up, like what what are you on this earth to do? What's your passion? What are you all about? I have so many passions, um, Erin, but I guess the one sentence is that what I really love to do is to take women and I call them women leaders um, because they're not just uh, people in the leadership roles that we often think about, but women leaders in the home, women leaders in communities, women leaders in workplaces, we all have that innate ability to lead. Mm -hmm. So what I love doing is taking women leaders from wellness to wholeness and beyond. And so it's this idea of going beyond kind of the green smoothies and the lycra and this kind of superficial fixes um, and really delving deep into why we get sick in the first place um, and some of the programming and conditioning that we've taken on as women that kind of limits us and limits our health and limits our expression and limits our abundance. And then really once we reach in that level of wholeness and kind of this feeling of being really in our bodies and really um, kind of expressing our, our soulful truth, then how do we take that beyond? So back out into the world and how can we be kind of these energetic leaders in the world making it a more equitable kind and kind of sustainable place to live? That was more than one sentence, but I hope that kind of sums up. <laughs> That's a nice paragraph. I like the it. The essence of, of what I'm about. Yeah. And so, I mean, I know, I know a bit about your history, but how did you come to this? How did you, was there like an epiphany? Was there a moment? Was it a slow burn? How did you decide that this was what you were going to spend your time doing? Well, it was a combination of um, kind of the universe interrupting my plans and then me listening to that. (laughs) So I was um, in the kind of aid and development sector for about 10 years. So um, after my schooling finished, I went over to Africa for a year when I was 17 and 
um, and really kind of donned my white saviour hat and <laughs> wanted to save the world and, and came back and studied kind of international studies as my undergraduate and then a couple of master's degrees in public health and gender and development. I love and... how you just spit that out a couple of master's degrees. <laughs> you were like me, you're a collector of degrees. I, I was. I you was have a been. collector of degrees and I've retired that part of um, me for now. But, <laughs> yeah, so... I was in the development space for about 10 years and working right from like the grassroots level. So really kind of local activist groups in, in Asia and Australia, right up to kind of the UN and working in the international kind of system um, as well as for government. So I really got a great insight into change and um, behavior change at a individual level and at a systems level mm. and this question that I've always been passionate about is like how do we create change like what are the preconditions to change on that individual and that societal level because I think like any woman we have a natural tendency an innate tendency to um, want to do better and want to see a better tomorrow. Um, and then it's overlaid with all that conditioning around being the nurturer and so forth. But I think, you know, we do as humans want to be better and do better. And mm-hmm. so I was doing that and was at kind of 27, so Saturn return time, and was working in Burma um, for a large international organisation in a in a quite a um, well paid and uh, advisor job, so you know I, I kind of scaled the ranks and had done a lot in a short amount of time, and I thought this is where I had wanted to be, but mm. there was just this deep like discontent in my body, and I couldn't kind of put my finger on it, so I ignored it through overworking, um, like punishing my body so I was like running half marathons at this time um, over socializing and kind of drinking a lot because a lot of people in that space do that and I was kind of using all my tools <laughs> to ignore the discontent mm. until my body just like completely shut down so my gut um, kind of stopped working I ended up having to be flown back to Australia where I had a laparoscopy to remove an ovarian cyst and then went through a whole lot of um, testing for what was going on. By this stage, I wasn't even able to kind of get out of bed and shower because I had this kind of chronic fatigue, adrenal fatigue symptoms Mm. as well. And, you know, the Western medicine, I kind of gave my power away to that system and I said, I'm stuck, like help me because in my heart, I just wanted to get back to being productive because that is where I had received all my love and validation from. Mm. I just wanted to get back to um, the areas where I felt safe and seen and acknowledged, even if they were discontent, like where I also felt discontent. So my reference point was very much external at this time in my life, as it is in our 20s. You know, it's quite common. Oh, of course. (laughs) So... Uh, I was treated back in Australia with three to six doses of metronidazole, which is a hardcore antibiotic. So after living for a couple of years in Burma and all the antibiotics I'd had over my extended period of travelling around the world and then this particularly stressful period, um, that kind of tipped my gut over into full-blown autoimmune rheumatoid arthritis land yeah. as well and so the road back from that Erin was was long and hard and I had to work through all the layers right that I'm still kind of coming out of that cycle now and closing it so the physical and then me moving on to the mental and starting to disentangle my identity from this stressful overproductive A-type personality and and really getting to the heart of like who I was and then the emotional healing. So starting to really bring up some of the childhood stuff and what had led me there and feeling it like for the first time in my 30 years on the earth and now moving to the point where I am now of the kind of the energetic healing. So um, really moving more to understand myself as as greater than any of those things and understanding how 
my energy and my feminine influence um it doesn't even require me to do anything it just is me and so that's where I am now and that's my story Mm, I think like part of the reason I wanted to talk to you because I think you've got great insights and experiences to share with people who are maybe nowhere near that stage or they've been to that stage or they're in the thick of it Um, because what we know for people like that this is why I do the help the helpers stuff because people who do wellness work birth work all that kind of stuff they are so like they just give and give and give and give and they avoid and they don't live inside their bodies and they do all sorts of things to distract themselves from the pain and then And then you're a great example of how you've got to that, like this is past burnout we're talking about. This is Mm -hmm. like, you know, a full-on visceral body reaction where your body is screaming at you, no, you need to do something different. And you didn't fall apart. Like we were talking just before we started recording how fucking hard that was. Mm. But you've managed to actually plod your way through it and find some of that beautiful resilience to go okay that doesn't mean I need to stop caring for people and go I don't know work in a lab or (laughs) work in a bank and do something where I'm not around people and I'm not using all of my you know amazing intuitive spidey senses Mm. but finding a different way of getting it to not have you completely and utterly just fall in a heap because one of my massive concerns I think for the world is that all of our good workers be it birth workers, be it aid workers, you know, whatever it might be, are just going to get burnt out and are going to give up and we're going to have this crisis, massive international crisis where people are not, not only are they not getting like the financial, like physical support that they need, but good people who do amazing work are simply not going to be able to do it anymore. Mm. So I think there's so much we can learn from you and your experience. So maybe, if you're happy to, can we go back into your past a bit and talk about what are some of the, I mean, this is kind of, it's going to be Reader's Digest version, I know, but talk us through for people who maybe don't really know kind of, well, most of us wouldn't know firsthand, what it's, what, what is maternity care and what is birth like in some of the amazing places that you've been? Mm. How is it different? I love that question um, because, you know, you look at the, the themes through your life and <clears throat> we were talking just before we were recording about how some of your listeners, um, one of the ways to prevent burnout is, is really getting to the heart of what your gifts are and what your unique gifts are and focusing in on them and losing the rest of the shit around it, right? You do not have to be everything. You just have to be you. Mm -hmm. And I think when I look back through my life, what seemed really random is now like perfect, right? Like hindsight's amazing. (laughs) And so all these little experiences that you've had, uh, you know, make up your unique essence as a birth worker or as a soul worker, as a light worker or as a dark worker or whatever you are and a wellness worker. And so when I look back and my passion was always two things, it was women and it was health. And it kind of came through in everything I did. I was like, how can I? And I loved hearing women's stories, right? Mm. Like loved sitting with women and just hearing what they had to say. And now, of course, I facilitate circles and retreats, which is just that. And it's such a bloody gift and honour mm. that I get to do that. But maternity care. So I'll just share two examples to just highlight um what we're kind of looking at because it's really important to understand how expressing gratitude for the system that we do have is a really important place to start to change it. Mm. And my journey from being an activist, an adversarial activist to an kind of an uh, activist which works from where we are now and acknowledges the good things and how we amplify them. And that's the same as when we work with people, right? Like Mm. not fixing you, not fixing all the flaws, amplifying what's working well and amplifying your strengths. So when I was in Gaza, you know, this is, you've got to think about Gaza as um, a tiny strip 
of land that is completely surrounded by hostile forces. Yeah. Okay. So you've got an extremely high birth rate, extremely high um, uh, maternal mortality rate, and you've got this context where there's no medivacs because there's nowhere to go. Okay. Yeah. So these women have to birth in this 40-kilometre strip and that is where they have to birth. There's a couple of hospitals. The biggest one I went to, um, women are in and out of that hospital to birth if they're privileged enough to have a birth in the hospital and the hospital is completely run by a UN agency which is responsible for Palestinian refugees, so UNRWA, completely run by external source, completely reliant on funding from outside, no Mm -hmm. government funding, completely reliant, okay? So women are in and out of that hospital in four hours and I know that happens here in some cases, but that's a choice here and that's Mm -hmm. not a choice there. So regardless of her birth, regardless of the complications, that bed is needed for another woman. And you just think about birthing in that context and oxytocin and what that would do, you know, and, and you just begin to get a sense of the privilege that we have in this healthcare system. I have birthed two incredible babies in the public healthcare system here, completely free, you know, completely supported, completely taken care of. And so reframing this idea that um, everyone's out to kind of make your birth experience terrible, it's a victim mindset and people in overseas countries, you know, they've done studies on trauma in developing countries and, and it's really about some of the programming and um, subconscious stuff that goes into creating trauma which lays the groundwork to be traumatized and recover from it and so it's one person birthing in a situation um and then the other person birthing in the exact same situation one may be traumatized and one won't Mm. another example i'll give is when i was in africa and um so the family over the road had just brought home their first baby and he was this tiny little jaundiced thing this mum had no concept. She was living away from her mama, which is like quite um, uncommon in Ghana because usually you would be around your own family. Um, and she had just no concept of like things that we take um, for granted, like uh, hand washing and things like that. Yeah. And that's not to say that like we're so much better. It's not about that. It's like education and access. And you've got to understand that in Africa, it's an ex-colonial atmosphere. People were purposefully disempowered. Yeah. So it's not that they're less than, it's that they were disempowered purposefully for, um, to allow some to maintain power over resources. So she had no concept and that baby came so close to dying in Mm. that kind of first couple of weeks that I was there. And um, me and a friend who were living there at the time took her to the clinic, which she couldn't afford to go to, to get the antibiotics because um, they'd been feeding the baby water, um, even though, you know, it was supposed to be exclusively breastfed. And and all of these things, there's no lactation consultants. There's no, like, breastfeeding support. There's no um, postnatal care. So they've done a lot of good work on antenatal care globally, but postnatal care, there's not a lot. Mm. Um, And then the last example I'll give is a maternity hospital in in Timor. Now Timor's got a population of 1 million people, but it is incredibly um, diverse, like topographically diverse. So you've got mountains and really, really hard to reach communities. So a lot of women birth at home. And by the time they reach the clinic, which may or may not um, so there's probably just a couple of trained birth workers in Dili, in in Timor, the capital, in the capital of Timor. And um, so I was in the main hospital, and so this would be the main hospital in Dili where all of these people from the um, rural areas would come when they're in obstructed labour. Okay, mm. so this is like the the tertiary hospital. But even then, the humidity creeps don't work. There's no ambulance service. There's no um, recurrent resources and recurrent costs for the running of a healthcare system when a country is dependent on aid is really difficult. Okay, so then you've got this woman and I could just hear her screaming. She'd been in obstructed labour for 21 hours yeah. and she actually um, passed away the, the following day I found out. And so 
context, you know, you need to understand that we flipping the mindset from um, lack and fear, which is a program that we've been taught to believe. And I worry that it's a program that we're teaching our birth workers Mm. to like, what are we really grateful for? What works really well? How can we work with? How can we amplify this? How can we um, take up space and hold energetically the sovereignty for this woman so that everyone around her falls into line rather than how do I fight this? How do I make it, you know, how do I make it the opposite? How do I, do you know, do you get that energetic Mm. difference? Yeah. And this is why we need to have these conversations because it's, there's so much to unpack. There's two, two things I suppose in my head I want to unpack a bit. One is, and I know that this will be happening for other people because it's happened, it's happened to me even when you and I have talked before is that hearing you say like, oh, healthcare system is good. There's that part of me, like the ego part that's immediately like, like, fuck, Meg, what are you talking about? Our hospitals are shit. Mm. We've got so many issues in Australia and Canada and the US and all that sort of stuff. So I want to just name that up because I know for a lot of people, maybe not a lot, maybe some, some of us will be sitting there and going, I hear what you're saying, but. And so what I want to do is for us to, be able to do that um, thing where you can hold two like two ideas at the same time and not have to like have them conflict with each other. So mm. it's kind of like that thing oh, that sometimes people do when they're like, oh, this happened to me. Oh, but I know such and such had it so much worse and so I can't complain. So this, mm. for me, it's not about saying, your experience, your client's experience in Australia, oh, we have to forget about that because things are so much worse elsewhere in the world. We can have both. I think we can say my experience wasn't very good and there are things in our systems and policies and government that need to change. However, that doesn't mean by us talking about how things are in other parts of the world that that has to discount that at all. But there is that also, that like bit that we don't talk about sometimes is that, well, yeah, a lot of what you're saying reigns true. And it's not, yeah, about comparing, oh, well, at least you didn't die and getting into all that, like, no, it's not helpful. (laughs) Not helpful. But it's, I think a lot of people find it difficult to talk about and to hold those two opposing things at the same time to Mm. we can talk about other people's experiences and how horrific they are in whatever context of the world we're in but also bringing in that okay part of what getting getting you to a place where trauma is no longer such a heavy 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 burden every day is trying to find that growth and trying to find what you were talking about with the gratitude and building resilience and even if all you can do is go geez I'm really really strong I'm stronger Mm. than I knew I was it's yeah a really interesting thing to think about yeah I love that I love that concept of holding two things and just a couple of things came to mind I think having the space to feel trauma or hold space for a client who has experienced it is absolutely essential and Mm. no one is advocating for that space not to be held. It becomes a question of what's working for you, okay? So if what is working for you is having that very strong anti-medical approach and doctrine, if that is working for you, And if you're in the midst of like just after the trauma or just, you know, just coming out of a birth experience that was really intense and I, and I've been kind of riding that wave. My daughter's only 11 months old. I know. know. (laughs) So I'm in this space at the moment of like in the story of that birth and reframing it and recreating and trying to, yeah, get to that growth mindset of the parts of that birth that I found really challenging and, and what I made that mean. Okay, so that's a really important thing. Like what are you making it mean in the broader context? Are you making it mean there's something fundamentally wrong with your body or that everyone's out to get you or that people are trying to take your power away or that 
the medical system in Australia is terrible. If that's what you're making it mean, that's fine because we need narratives and stories to process and at least Mm. you're engaging with it. But there comes a time and a point like with my burnout where the story became bigger and created such strong new conditioning and patterning in my behaviour that it was time to reframe it and move on. Okay, it's the same with birth, I think. And so it's that understanding of like how is this story serving me? And often when we've had a bad experience, having a story around the the Australian healthcare system is really um, important and it helps us to change it. But how we change it and the process that we go through to, to alchemize that story in ourselves, like that's what I'm interested in more. Mm. And I think that's where um, you can really start to, as women, regardless of what we're talking about, whenever the story or the patterning becomes bigger than you, then we need to look at it and start to work with it. And that's what I kind of do with my clients one by one these stories that are limiting us we start to unpack them and be like I can so see how that story was serving me and kept me safe but right now it feels like I'm ready to move beyond it does Mm. that kind of make sense yeah it's exactly exactly what I was hoping (laughs) what I was hoping you'd say talk to me a bit if you don't mind about aid worker guilt and this thing that happens because I used to see it so often with um, my own clients that I worked with where you come back to Australia and there's a lot of displacement, of course, but the resentment and the anger and the story then potentially that goes with when you're ready to birth your own babies. How's that been for you? What was that process like? Mm. Just trying to think back to um, my first child. There's a bit of cognitive dissonance that goes on, to be fair, <laughs> because yeah. oh, what, it has to. It because has whilst to. at the same time you've experienced these things, the program that we're taught around birth as women in Australia and pregnancy is very much one of self-interest <laughs> and mm don't touch me and this is the most important thing that's ever happened to me. And, like, I say that all with jest, right, because I was totally in it. Both times I was pregnant, highly sensitive, very much self-centred, very much like, and and it's almost biological that we need to be in that state. And so I think there wasn't a lot of um, guilt so much playing out but just acknowledgement of privilege. And I think that that's a really important way of, of staying out of shame and Mm. staying in kind of inspired action. And that's what I teach women leaders who work in the social and wellness spaces, right, is guilt and shame are not useful emotions for inspired action because they keep us in a a freeze response. They keep us paralysed. So it's like, oh, well, why do I bother doing anything anyway because, you know, it's, it's a very powerlessness there's a powerlessness Mm. about shame and guilt because they're the unspoken things and so I think it was more about with my husband like naming the privilege that we were experiencing and allowing myself to be pissed off at my doctors and scared about birthing in a hospital and all of those things right allowing myself to experience and create a story around um so both times after birth being the most triggering part of my birth has been being stitched up. And that's mm. because as women, medically we're often traumatised from pap smears, from um, medical professionals who don't treat our yoni and our reproductive organs in the sacred way that they should be. And yes. so both times that was the point of my birth with, with which I disassociated. And oh, that's so interesting because mm. that's... I've had that in both my births too. Yes. I thought about that too much. Well, I thought about it, but just you saying that, I can act, I'm actually crossing my legs. Yeah, totally. And you, <laughs> I'm, I'm clenching up like, too. Yeah. Oh, just even think yeah. it, it's that idea. But also, if you think about sexual trauma, it's the idea of being powerless on your back while someone is penetrating you, right? Like, sorry oh, to be very absolutely. visceral, like real about it, but like, let's yeah. be honest, yeah. that's what your subconscious is, is reflecting either if you've had a personal experience or um, 
uh, epigenetically, okay, so we yes. carry these imprints in our genetics. And so and the other time was when my waters were broken, that's just that lying there and, and being powerless to, to someone mm. um, and vaginal exam. So they're, so they're the times for me that were most triggering. So allowing myself to be in the feeling in the story, you know, and, and resistance is created by not feeling. So the mm. more we try and get ourselves out of a state physical or otherwise, or, or traumatic imprint, the more we try and get ourselves out of it with affirmations and denial or disassociating or numbing, the more that that creates resistance and the more that kind of embeds it in ourselves. And so I've got this idea of with the guilt and the shame, like feeling it all, right, acknowledging it all, being in that dissonance so that it can move through, so that I can reframe it, so that I can recreate a different narrative around um, either my personal experience or around uh, developing countries and our privilege. And mm. that's kind of how I, how I work with it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's some really good snippets. I think you've just talked about there, all that stuff about staying in your body mm. and sometimes how hard it is to stay in our bodies when we would rather like float on up out and go somewhere else. And I've been in that experience with both of my births mm. as well of doing the like, yeah, I'm just kind of, it's not necessarily a conscious thing. Of course but I not. think that dissociation is also a really, really, really powerful tool that we have. And sometimes at least um, in the psychological field, I suppose, it's talked about in a negative way as if it's a symptom that we need to get rid of. And absolutely it can be, but everything on a continuum, right? So I always talk about you know, down one end, you've got things like deja vu, driving along and sort of going, oh, how did I get here? And then up the other end, you've got um, dissociative personality type issues or what people used to call like multiple personality disorder and things like that. So really, really, really full on. Mm. Um, for most people, it's going to be somewhere at the lower end or up the middle. But your trauma has this amazing ability to protect, well, your brain has this amazing ability to protect itself. And so dissociation in there of itself isn't always a bad place to be. Of course not. Of course mm. not. I totally love that you said that because, you know, in Russell Brand's book Recovery, right, he talks about the first, like the first real serious time that he went to rehab and and the single most important thing that someone said to him was, congratulations, you found drugs, you kept yourself alive. And yeah. that is what disassociation is and it is like it is a deeply imprinted survival instinct and so it's not this is what I'm trying to remove from this conversation is the polarizing thinking right good yes. bad good birth bad birth good hospital bad hospital good um trauma bad you know like nothing mm. is everything is everything everything is good and bad so think about the birth worker that you could be if you could get to a point where talking about trauma is neither good or bad we're talking about hospital is neither good and bad and how that energetic centeredness allows your clients to find her sovereignty in that okay and so this is where it becomes so powerful if you can do this for yourself as well in your own stories around okay well how is this serving me like where's the benefit where's the win where's the thing to amplify because if you can get to this equilibrium of understanding that life is never one or the other masculine feminine good bad black white day night like it's it's all this mushy gray in between mm. you are able to exactly what you said sit in your body with this expansive open groundedness which allows you to hold it all and there's such tremendous power that comes from that as a mm. worker as well as um, as an individual, like a woman trying to reclaim your power and call some of this stuff back. I don't know how I got onto that, but I felt really passionate about saying No, that. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. This is what I love to do. Maybe. I think, I think what would be useful is if you can give us some like what practical stuff because what I'm hearing possibly, I'm like putting myself in the, I was going to say eyes, but it's more ears really, of the listener is going, okay, but how do I actually do that? So yes. what did you do? So this is like I suppose 
someone saying that's great Meg but Mm. what like tell me what practical things did you do to get to this powerhouse strength of a woman that you are Mm. how do Um, you find that (laughs) practically what are the steps it's a very good question and I'm all about the practical maybe frame it could you frame it in terms of um what what a listener may be wanting to achieve like is it kind of power in her body power as a birth worker like what are you thinking when you kind of set like what what's the end point that you think your listeners may be wanting to get to I think maybe if we just take it back to the overused but so important term of self-care yes I like that so maybe you can talk us through I mean we're either going like back then or now or however you want to frame it what do you like? I hate that sort of. What do you do for your self care? But what what does it look like for you? What's your plan like? What are some of the activities that you engage in? Mind, body, spirit, whatever you want, whatever you want to give us. Give sure. Us some you know that's really good because I I was thinking it was the self care. Well, like thinking about if your end point is to be in your power and is to feel really connected, um, so that you can be of service without burning out. There are a few kind of things that I teach women leaders to embody and and how to do that. So I think the first step is really to have a a mindfulness um, practice and without having the ability to have awareness of self and your own patterns, you will be projecting them onto clients constantly. (laughs) Yeah, and And, I love that you said that because really for me, Self-care is just self-awareness. Absolutely. Totally agree on that. So my meditation practice is um, I'm when I'm putting the baby down for her first sleep, I lie down with her and um, I put on a YouTube meditation, whatever I feel on that day. It's really not fancy. I've done hardcore, like austere meditation. I've done it all. And what works for me is just sinking in with that first awareness of the day of what do I need today, right? And Mm. they say, you know, a lot of the law of attraction stuff say that the thing you focus on for 17 seconds after you wake up will be the thing that kind of sets up your day. So if you (laughs) spend the first 17 seconds of your day staring at Facebook, Mm. think about the results you're going to get. If you spend the first 17 seconds of your day, um, reflecting on how sore your body is or how tired you are, like the how tired, we've talked a lot about this, right? Like if you oh, wake up and be like, fuck, I'm tired, you will have tiredness all day long because it's <laughs> activating the reticular um, system in your brain and you're going to be looking for all the ways that you're tired. So yes. if you can just spend 17 seconds of your morning focusing in a positive way, either through a meditation practice or a visualisation or just even focusing on like three deep breaths and how good that feels in your body, vastly different results to not to looking at your phone. And so that's something really practical that I teach and I'm pretty strict about it with myself now because the phone thing was just not like serving me at all, at mm. all. Um, and so then if you've got this practice and I do it in the morning and the night and I'm talking like five or ten minutes, no, it's not that much. Then at the tail end of your day, you've got this gratitude practice as well. Then the middle part, it's really about um, about using small opportunities to, one, check in, two, reduce resistance, and three, kind of refocus. So yeah. by that I mean like if you find yourself starting to like numb out at the fridge or starting to get really cranky at someone, it's like those three deep breaths. And then, um, and then allowing whatever emotion is trying to come through, right? So, and that's a, just an energetic opening of the chest and softening around the heart. That's what I imagine. Something that I teach is like, how do you have really grounded, strong roots, but an open chest? Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of women doing spiritual work have kind of still got a very closed off like oh my and I'm just a really sensitive person and my energies and like oh I've got to protect myself and it's like no if your roots are deep enough you can have an open heart there's absolutely no reason why you can't have that um and so yeah so allowing it just takes the resistance out of that emotion and out of that emotional state and be like hmm, so I'm feeling crap I'm feeling tired 
I just really am frustrated at my three-year-old right now. Whatever it is, I'm really struggling with this client and holding space for her, whatever it is. And then reducing that resistance allows you to be like, on again, on the inhale, where do I want to focus this attention? Like what is that coming back to that first 17 seconds of the day? It's, it could be I'm worthy or I'm strong or I'm healthy or I'm grounded or I'm, but how can I refocus there and bring my mind's attention away from like this negative thing to, but what else is here too? <laughs> What's the positive thing here too? And so that's really my self-care. I do lots of like stretching and baths and like all of that stuff. But I think the main thing is not resisting emotion has been yeah. such a massive thing for me. And you think about burning out. If you as a birth worker are literally midwiving someone's experience for them and you're heaping onto your shoulders the outcome of someone's birth, it's too much to carry. What you'll do is all of her pain and trauma and experience, you will actively seek to bring it into your body, alchemize it, and then give it back to her, okay? And mm. that's what we can do. It's a phenomenal thing. But how is it serving you carrying that around? It's not great. And it's not serving her and giving her the resilience to be able to come through things herself, and you're not giving her sovereignty, which is exactly what you need to birth. <laughs> and so mm. having this idea of firm roots, open chest, but you're not responsible is going to allow you to have a career over decades, not just like a few years, and then you're going to get burnt out from it. Mm. And it's something that I really practice with my family, with my friends, with you know, with um, my clients is is just seeing myself as a sovereign being and seeing them as a sovereign being as well. Yeah, I think I'll leave that's, it there. That No, that's good stuff because I think that's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of the content and the themes of what birth workers I talk to have I suppose concerns about is they talk about, oh, I, I might be too emotional I'm too sensitive, I feel things too deeply, I need to somehow like, you know, trim all the fat and get rid of all of that. Mm. So something I'm always kind of trying to, I'll say harp on about, (laughs) I do harp on about it, is that you don't need to change who you are. If you are an emotional, intuitive person, perfect. It's just a matter of, just as you were talking about, finding those deep roots being centered so that you can give without giving every single bit of your soul totally away yeah Mm -hmm. and the more you this is the beautiful thing right that I am passionate about sharing the more you own your power and your energy and maintain and look after it and have mastery over it that is the work you don't need to fucking do any other course or any other degree or except for your course Erin of course but like (laughs) you don't need anything else if you have mastery over your energy you influence people in the room without even doing a thing okay and that is the magnetic feminine ability that is innate so you say I'm empathetic I'm sensitive I'm intuitive women are like everyone is that And you're also not that because we're everything. That's what consciousness Mm. is, okay? So you've got to come back to, and this is what I really love doing, we'll have to run a circle on it, Erin, is how is the story of being an empath served you and how is the story of being the nurturer and the person that midwives other people's experiences served you? And the two most common things, and I know them because I am them, (laughs) You received love for being a nurturer when you were a kid. It was how you got your mum's attention and it was what you were rewarded for in your career. So that is one why a lot of people go into service is because they've got a patterning and a deep-rooted trauma around fear of abandonment and having received love and validation for looking after younger siblings, looking after other people, being empathetic. And so owning that, right, is the first way Mm -hmm. to bring power into the conscious mind and not just a subconscious patterning. Because if you have the belief that to receive love, you need to give everything, that is going to recreate in your work and that is going to recreate burnout. 
100% because you're attaching an external reference point to this internal work, right? Does that kind of make sense? Mm, And then the second one, sorry, I've just got a uh, blocked nose, so I'm just trying to clear it. The second one is thinking about um, how, so not only how the story served you, in the past and now how it's serving you in the in the current reality but also how it keeps you safe from allowing others in okay and mm. so if you're the expert and in control of the situation and the one doing the nurturing no one gets to see your discomfort and this happens in circle a lot when mm. i tell women please if someone is crying do not go and comfort her even if it feels like it's an innate feminine thing because it's not Mm. it's a taught thing we teach girls to do that actually the most powerful thing you could do is to sit there and witness her full expression from start to finish and hold space for her energetically without shutting down her emotion because of your discomfort and so often we carry this role of nurturer because it feels powerful and it allows us not to really be vulnerable and seen. So if we're always looking after others and it plays out being a mum, right, if I'm just doing chores and, like, not being silly and not involved in the game, no one gets to see my vulnerability. No mm. one gets to see it. It keeps us safe. So I think owning some of that um, is really important and such a huge part of this work as well. Mm. Gosh, this is, like, so much potential stuff to take away from where can people find you if they're like, yep, this is right up my alley? Because I guess part of what this podcast is about is connecting people to other people, whether it's, you know, as I said, it's like, hmm, I might need this type of therapy or I might need this sort of service or I might need this sort of approach. So where would people find you? What are you, what are you up to? What are you offering? Thanks. Thank you for asking that. Um, I, you can find me at my website, which is www.beyondbeingwell.com so being is b-e-i-n-g um, and on facebook at meg j berryman and on insta at meg j berryman as well and i'm sure you'll pop it in your show notes um, i absolutely will yes so i work with women in one-on-one in an immersive six or 12 month journey and in that six or 12 months we go through the five areas that women are traditionally disempowered so money relationships um health uh and two others which i can't think of right now but all the info's on the website <laughs> It's not just me who does that then, right? It's the mum brain. It's totally it? the mum brain uh, and the cold I brain as well. Yeah, <laughs> the amazing conversations when it comes to the basics, it's like, huh? No, what? it cannot. Um, <laughs> and, oh, and purpose and contribution as well. So there's those and they're kind of enrolling enrolment, but I've only got two places left for the 12-month program. And then um, I'm running a retreat in June and in November in central Victoria and it might be really kind of related to this conversation because the June one is about um, landing in your body so it's a lot of work around um, removing some of the stories that we have around bodies and um, developing some really sacred practices to land in your feminine body so that you can be a space holder and a leader as well as just feel good as well as feel energized and vital as well so my retreats are not like wellness retreats they are kind of like sister parties like an old school sleepover where um we just talk real talk there's no judgment doesn't matter if you don't wear lycra we eat really good food we drink wine we eat a lot of chocolate and they're really about um having a space to practice being you without all of the shit around it and all the roles that you've been kind of prescribed in your life. So all that's on the website as well. And yeah, I just really appreciate you having me on the podcast. It's been a a pleasure to have these conversations. Mm, It's, it's such, as I said, such important conversations to have because I don't see a lot of it necessarily happening like I think the trauma space is so heavy it is so heavy Mm. and it's so dark and it's so depressing sometimes part of my goal all of this is to like try and find the lightness yes and try and find the The humanness you know like it's just 
it makes us human and we're in our bodies to have a human experience and that includes the dark and the trauma and do you know what I mean like that that is part of it we can't experience the light without that I really believe that Mm. so I suppose to finish off have you got something that you're reading watching listening to in this sort of realm of stuff we've been talking about that you would want to share that people might find useful yeah I so I'm an avid audible like book listener and podcast listener so there's so many things I think the most influential work for me in this particular space is Peter Levine's work um and his book Waking the Tiger and that really has informed um a lot of the somatic work I do one-on-one and in retreats um and also just a shout out to some of the trauma informed I'm a yoga teacher as well so some of the trauma informed yoga work going on um oh this somatic work I just think is the kind of where it's at and I think as workers we have an obligation to our clients to have um really good solid awareness of some of the practices and education out there in the somatic space and so joe buick in melbourne is um one of these teachers and you can find her online um and there's there's lots of kind of trauma-informed yoga stuff happening and so even to do a three-day training you don't have to be a yoga teacher or just going along to a class to get a feel for um how that space is evolving it's really exciting mm, that's such useful information because i guess you know my background is all the in the mind stuff and as a psychologist you're not really supposed to touch people yes I'm finding this interesting crossroads with my own work where I've got all the stuff about the cognitive work but then as we've talked about before I just don't see how we can go forward with good trauma-informed practice without the embodiment work I just don't see how we can do that so it's such an interesting place that we're in and it's potentially quite exciting to start getting into more of this work it is and I think you know the really good um clinicians that that I've worked with I'm seeing them integrate more kind of mindfulness-based therapy which is a it's an embodiment practice in that you're bringing awareness to the body right and they're Mm -hmm. integrating um movement and somatic kind of uh expression and embodiment work and it's really exciting because I think you marry together that what exactly what you said around them the mental and and then bringing the emotional and then bringing the body like that's where stuff is stored and so it makes sense that that's where stuff needs to be unstored as well but we can use our conscious mind to access that and to move it which is the the most like you know joe dispenser's work as well i'm doing a lot with his work at the moment and it's just all about reprogramming the body using the conscious mind and it's like next level amazing it's really changing my life and experience at the moment around abundance which we've talked about as well Mm. wow that was a really good conversation thank you thank you for joining us i really do appreciate it because i'm sure people heard at the start but we'll just say it again you've got such a tiny baby at home so thank you for giving us your time and your energy and your passion which has come through despite the exhaustion <laughs> thank you no I apart from the cold um second babies are a lot easier but this stuff lights me up like this stuff gives me energy and I think it's also re- you know a reminder for your um clients when they get really down and burnt out like come back to the passion and what you love doing and you do love doing it it's just the way in which you're doing it um is is potentially something that needs looking at so thanks Erin and you're doing amazing work in the world and I hope that it continues to be expressed oh thanks lovely you're welcome hey thanks so much for joining me today thanks for taking the time out for yourself to sit back and do some mind-body connection about this really, really important topic. It really will go a long way, I hope, to understanding yourself, understanding what you need for your own personal and professional growth and changing this 
awful climate of birth culture that we've got. So if you're feeling, you know, distressed, triggered, even just a bit shaken up by something, even if you're not exactly sure what it is, make sure that you take a breath, come back, center yourself to where you are and what you're doing and what you're going to be doing next. And if you're feeling like you need some support or you know someone who does, you can call Lifeline in Australia, so 13 11 14, or you can call Panda, 1300 726 306, and that's a Monday to Friday um, that the calls are open. So working through trauma is clearly, it's a non-negotiable in order to have a sustainable career as a birth worker. And if you want to train with me, there's a couple of different ways that you can do that. So you can do mentoring, coaching. So not necessarily therapy per se, but you know, there's the option up my sleeve as being a trained therapist. But if you want to work with me in a one-on-one capacity, or you want to do my online course, Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers, that's coming out relatively soon, then you can do that. And you can find me and contact me through drerin.com.au. So hopefully you've walked away from this feeling something that you needed to hear today or you've learnt something or you're feeling just that little bit of extra (laughs) excited, anxious, uncomfortable, something that is going to propel you to move forward, take some small step forward in whatever that looks like for you. Talk to you next time.